0: That's all right, sir. I, I don't think that will be, uh, uh, if it's on silent,
1: that's It's awesome. on silent. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. Are we? Okay, uh, Are we set to go? Yes, outside. The Teamwork Arts podcast, ladies and gentlemen, the idea, of course, uh, is to go behind the scenes and uh, uh, try and uh, figure out the thoughts that animate the actions of the people who make the art. Um, this uh, this podcast is very very special actually because uh, it is with a man who's uh, who's shown us the mirror that we all need to see, who's uh, shown us the importance of words and uh, uh, the importance of uh, of of the fact that. Uh, Sometimes, uh, even if you're speaking quietly, the words can be loud enough to shake the conscience. And uh, uh, it is a privilege and an honor, sir, uh, to speak to you. Uh, Mr. Harsh Mandar is with us. A privilege for me as well. Uh, First of all, of course, on behalf of a lot from my generation, uh, allow me to thank you uh, for showing us what it means to have the courage of conviction, uh, because I don't think um, (laughs) <laughs> a man has been vilified as much and uh, physically and mentally assaulted as much but you stand firm sir and you stand firm and quiet and yet the words speak so loudly when, when, when did this journey start sir?
1: Uh, let me say thank you actually for, uh, for being part of a generation is, which is willing to listen mm, and, uh, and uh, every second Indian is below the age of 25 uh uh, people of my generation received a country after independence uh, which was imagined very differently uh it was supposed to be a humane inclusive kind equal uh, just free country for all Uh, our generation you know and it's not just what has happened now Uh, there has been a steady decline in this as the decades have passed, particularly after Nehru's passing. Uh, and, uh, and we also have in the parallel a uh, hundred years of history of the Hindu Mahasabha and uh, 95 years of, of of the RSS. And uh, they have shown singular dedication uh, for an alternative imagination for India. Uh, I'm not one to, you know, I know the India that I believe in uh, and uh, Everyone has to make their choice, but this is a decisive moment of choice uh, about what kind of country you, those who are below 25, every second Indian, what kind of country do you want to go, grow old in? And what kind of country do you want to leave for your children? Our generations really mess things up. Like, terribly. Uh, both you know, in terms of compromises with the politics of hate, uh, but also the idea that the state exists primarily for uh, for its most vulnerable citizens. So when I joined the IS in 1980, at least the theory of government was very clear to us, that we existed for the poor. Since the mid-1990s, uh, the conscious effort is actually to tell young administrators that that is all sort of old-fashioned stuff, and uh, nation-building is really uh, attracting and spending time with with the super-rich and and their investments. And it suits everybody because, you know, uh, in my, my father was in the IAS. Uh, he wouldn't be seen close to a uh, super-rich kind of person. I wouldn't either. But now you can actually do it and say I'm nation-building. Uh, and, 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 and so on. So we've come a very long way. Uh, the politics of hate uh, has got more and more mainstreamed. Uh, there are any number of examples, but I mean, recently and just To illustrate, you have uh, uh, the Chief Minister of UP actually calling a meeting, this was before the ordinance, uh, of the senior most police officers, the DGs and IGs, etc., to investigate what he called Love Jihad, which is basically consensual adult relationships between Muslim men and Hindu women. And that whole bunch of senior officers came. UP, if it was an independent country, would be the fourth largest country in the world. We're talking about a very large population and
0: it's and, important to underline that yeah itself.
1: absolutely so what we are, and 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 that not one not one of them protested that what we are doing is against the constitution the constitution gives you a freedom of choice guarantees your freedom of choice uh, we uh, you know i'm giving you a slightly long reply but i was thinking a lot about the constitution after the anti protests and how it became iconic. And uh, during the lockdown, one of the things I did was to study the making of the constitution. And uh, um, Shambhiannigar has made a very beautiful series uh, called Sambhidhan, which is about the Constituent Assembly debates. One little sequence in that was there were two women in the drafting committee, uh, uh, Hansa, Hansa Mehta and Rajkumari Amrit Kaur. And you know what they wanted to bring in, additionally, into the, into the fundamental rights, was the right of a woman to consent to the choice of her spouse. And, and it was shot down by the men in the drafting committee, including Dr. Ambedkar. So, okay. Yeah, okay. so so there were times, I mean, but you know, when, when I heard that and I look at what is happening today, how, how much foresight they had. Uh, uh, on this question, of course, uh, 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 the same-sex unions also is, is the choice of. I mean, I, I should have the freedom to choose who I want to love and how I want to love them, as long as we are both adults and it's consensual. So, uh, wh- where did it start? I mean, I did really, it from the time I can. My earliest memories. I mean, I I, uh, I grew up. I think. From the earliest times, believing that I should be part of an effort to uh, stand with those where, who are in the greatest pain, I think that is really. And so, even when I was in the IES uh, I spent a lot of time with leprosy patients and so on and so forth with the poorest tribal people. I used to. Uh, they, they used to both affectionately and somewhat mockingly call me "comrade collector," <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I was proud of that because, you know, after a little while, I didn't even have to I mean, get posted and the poor used to believe that our man is here and we, they used to swagger into the office. They would uh, <laughs> make their demands, sit comfortably, an old lady from Islam would say, "Beta, ye ye hai, whereas the, the wealthy and the politicians would wait formally outside and so on and so forth. And that was the change that I wanted. So before I joined the IAS, uh, I spent four or five years. Uh, just traveling around rural India. I had, had a very protected upbringing, so I knew what I believed in, but I knew the poor very little. And I could hardly speak, I'm ashamed to say, I could hardly even speak Hindi. And my parents let me just go, uh, and uh, I used to travel around. Get onto trucks, go and stay in ashrams, etc. And that was my, you know, what Nehruji had the discovery of India, it was my discovery of India. And after four years of that, I decided that I would like to be part of government. Uh, and I gave the IS exam, I got in. Uh, I loved the years that I spent, although it was in continuous battle. I mean, a like, continuous battle. Uh, I had about Twenty-two transfers in seventeen years, and uh, and that is also sort of somewhat uh, because I spent three years teaching in missouri So you, so if you take that out, then it would be even more. But I have no regrets because. Uh, you know, I I fought many battles. I fought battles to distribute land to tribal people, which had been taken away by expropriation. Uh, I fought battles to uh, in communal uh, violence, and that was during the whole Babri Masjid movement of arresting uh, those who led led the violence.
0: You know, it's it's very interesting that you uh, I'm still you know in my head uh, the comrade collector has stuck. You yeah. see, because I think. Even from that time, I think um, uh, our love for labels Mm -hmm. has been something (laughs) that's been bubbling under. And now, of course, those labels seem to have been weaponized and they're sort of corroding us like acid that's bubbling, isn't it? I mean, that's right, that's left. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And you're absolutely right. I mean, there
1: was, as I said, there was a lot of affection as well. Sure. I uh, I have so many memories, but uh, I remember somebody gave me a... A note, which uh, a Hindi proverb actually, that "sare and you know that idea that they had a feeling that I shared the pain of those who had suffered the greatest pain, etc. So I was very pleased. I, uh, the non Andolan was happening where I was; uh, Mehta Patkar had started. I uh, fought the government, refused to use force. I said, "I stand with the protesters." I fought many such battles. Uh, So some people might ask, why did I then decide in 2002 to leave? And 2002 was actually I'd seen 1984, I'd I'd seen the Babi Masjid demolition riots. But when 2002 happened, I was actually on leave from the government. Uh, You were allowed at that time to work with an NGO for a few years, and I went as as a just as a civilian volunteer into the relief camps, and within. Hours and days, the kind of horrific stories that I heard. Uh, I got a sense, and I think it's not just me a lot, for a lot of people, 2002 became a turning point. But I said, if this is where our country is going, I cannot be part of this government. And I have to fight
0: this chan of power. Uh, and Some people would wield it, actually, <laughs> wouldn't they? The temptation is high, isn't
1: it? It's very high, people still ask me. but. Where the country has gone now, I man, uh, it could have been impossible for me to be part of this uh, government, uh, these governments.
0: Uh, but you seem to have, uh, you seem to have see, gotten a lot of pain as compensation for what yeah. happened. Uh, uh, and, uh, and yet, you, you refuse to look away. It's the yeah. easiest option, isn't it? A lot of us know of the uh, of what has happened. A lot of us have actually experienced it firsthand to some extent, but. We all choose to look away and you've, uh, you've steadfastly refused to look away, even though the eyes and the heart must be bleeding, sir.
1: Yeah. You know, that's absolutely true. I have a very dear friend, I won't name him. Uh, he's a well-known person uh, who uh, who's very affectionate and admiring of my work. And he used a metaphor which, uh, you know, which encompasses some of what you said. He said, Harsh, when I look at you and all the work you try to do, Uh, I could summarize it as that you want to be a lightning conductor. I don't know how much you guys know about lightning conductors, but (laughs) houses used to have, uh, still have I don't know, but they used to have lightning conductors so it would absorb the lightning and not allow the house to burn and you take it in and you put it into the the earth and the house is saved. And he said that I see you as somebody who wants to go where there is the greatest suffering, to act as a lightning conductor to that suffering and you absorb it uh, and you uh, take it in and you help that person sure. uh, free themselves a little bit from that pain and I think that, that that is really but for that I have to be you know if a lightning conductor burns itself out mm-hmm. yeah. then it doesn't serve the purpose so you have to build your strength and most of us don't build our strength we, we cut ourselves off we are told don't engage don't be so emotional Uh, be detached my sense and a lot of my colleagues now who try to follow this path tell me about how unbearable the pain that they witness I I was just coming back from Assam my colleagues there what has happened during and after the NRC and you know the the devastation of lives there the people in the detention centres they were saying that the point is coming where we just can't handle it and I just tell them I said that the moment you think of that Please recognize that even at its worst, the pain that we will feel is only a tiny fraction of what those people who are actually living that pain uh, will experience. And so it would be self-indulgent to say that to protect myself, I will cut myself off. The only thing to do is to make myself stronger and stronger. So that's really... And it's only that which drives me. I mean, otherwise, why would I be uh, on the streets uh, the second day after the lockdown? Why would I be uh, in... in, in, uh, You know, we went to... We started the Karwana Mohabbat, visited every family that has been lynched across the country for three years.
0: Mr. Mandir, there... I was reading about Nazi Germany, mm-hmm. and um, there was this phrase that stuck with me, which was uh, the banality of evil. There was, there was, of course, that story about uh, the janitor of uh, of the university selling out the students because he said that they were flouting norms by uh, distributing pamphlets, mm-hmm. and they were the ones that were tortured, uh, and, and that became a story, literally, of of the horrors of the Nazi regime, mm-hmm. uh, we seem to be seeing the banality of evil as well. I'm sure uh, you, uh, uh, more than others, mm-hmm. uh, is there a little despair of the fact that uh, that that this is happening at our level? This is happening uh, next to our doorstep. Does that ever get a little disheartened?
1: No, I, I see. I'm a person who my friends. Uh, right from the time I was in college in St. Stephen's, uh, I was well-known. Uh, my politics was always, I mean, it was left, but it was tempered with uh, uh, with the idea of humanism and compassion, uh, but also with, with hope. And uh, in a sense, I think my politics were, have been almost naively uh, optimistic. And it's in recent years, especially after the lynching started, Uh, that I, there are moments when I slip close to despair because you find that not one person reached out, no one helped. The kind of cruelty with which these lynchings have happened is very hard to describe. Uh, And we've been, uh, we made about 30 journeys to 14 states, uh, visited more than 100 odd families and visited them like you would visit a loved one. Uh, to say that we are not alone, Uh, we share in your pain and there are many people in this country who do care, don't feel alone. Uh, We seek forgiveness for what uh, you have suffered because we couldn't stop the country from becoming what it is. Uh, We will be with you in your battles as you fight for justice and rebuild uh, your lives and we will tell your story. And telling the story is very, very crucial because I found again with years and years of work, that the biggest fear is actually that no one will even know and remember. Yes. And acknowledgement is, is the first thing. I went to the US recently in Alabama. Uh, they've created a lynching museum. It was immensely moving. I spent the morning, I found a lot of African-Americans would come. And there's no record. For many people, they don't even have a, a picture. And so you just had a person's name and they had collected soil from under the tree where the person was
0: Welcome.
1: hung. They cut off his janitors, they cut off his fingers, they hung him. And that soil and then have the person's name. And I found uh, people coming and sitting and weeping and weeping uh, there. Uh, and I realized over and over again how important it is to tell the story. And I say I will keep speaking and telling the story until your conscience aches unbearably. That's it, it's it's really important for many reasons and I'm just, the parallels with Nazi Germany, I'll just say a couple of things. Uh, what gives me hope, what gives me despair? Uh, see the parallels with Nazi Germany is, uh, I have a lot of very dear friends, I also teach uh, every, every year uh, and I go to Berlin and I ask, how did later generations deal with it? And And my friends would tell me that every generation asked the previous one, how did you remain silent? Why did you remain silent? And one of the biggest defences they had was, we did not know. Which is not true, because it was happening on the streets, you chose not to know. But I said that defence I will not allow, my countrymen to have, we kept telling you. Uh, And and we will keep telling you, whatever happens. So that's why then a media team has come together, Uh, we made more than 200 films, uh, and and uh, and we're telling the story. Uh, we are also telling stories of kindness. We are also telling stories of resilience.
0: Uh, we telling There the story. is always hope. Isn't
1: hope there? Is there or, or is hope. But what gives me the greatest hope uh, is the comparisons with in, in comparison with Nazi Germany is that there was never a resistance, a mass movement, even for more than two days of non-Jewish Germans through all the years of Hitler. Uh, We would not, we we have not seen anything like uh, the 100 days of the anti-CAA protests where Hindus and Muslims stood together. Uh, And it is, uh, we have not seen a situation. See, most of the people who are speaking out in defense of the rights of uh, Muslim sisters and brothers, a large majority of them are not Muslim. Uh, I am not Muslim. In fact, I am a partition family from a partition family. My parents were from uh, near Rawalpindi, a village called Kahuta, which is now where the nuclear plant is, incidentally. Now, Kahuta became so infamous for the atrocities uh, that uh, Dominic Lapierre uh, wrote a book, "Freedom at Midnight." Yes. Uh, it's located in 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 Kahuta.
0: Oh, and
1: And uh, it was a place where people locked themselves in into a fortress like Gurdwara. And when the mobs finally came, uh, they said we will not allow the women to stay alive. And they threw them into the well. And if they didn't agree, they chopped off their heads and so on. We have not dealt with a lot of our history and we've just gone on with life, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, not addressing. I have grown up with those stories, and yet uh, I'm extremely grateful that I never heard anti-Muslim bigotry from my parents. When I was about 10 or 12, we have a um, prayer room uh, with the Grand Sahab in our house. I told my mother, I'd feel much happier if we have an Allah and we have a cross, uh, we have uh, Ram and Krishna, and she didn't hesitate for a single moment. And that's how, till they both my parents died. That is what our prayer room looked like. Uh, but a lot of my extended family completely cut me off and were furious with me after 2002. A lot of the people I've grown up in boarding school and you know, college, a lot of my colleagues in the IES, uh, almost 70 to 80% of people I had lived my life with cut cut themselves off. And that also shows how much bigotry there is. I mean, I, I'm scared of very few things, but I reached a point where it was really scary to go uh, for a social gathering, a wedding or something, with the extended family. Because somebody or the other would walk up to me and say something. And my daughter was used to be 16, 17, and she became her self-appointed bodyguard. So she used to stand and you know, in front of her father, and if anyone comes, she would just sort of almost pounce at them uh, and not allow them to say. But people would say, Harsh, I have to tell you something. We are ashamed of you. Oh. And you've you're completely on the wrong side. And I would argue sometimes, I've said that after all we have suffered, the right side is people who are suffering that same kind of of pain and violence. Uh, And so I am on the right side. It's you who are on the wrong side. Aren't you able to see? Um, But none of us, I mean, very few of us are able to see it. Muslims uh, continue to be sort of very disproportionately grateful for what I do. And very often they call me Uh, you know, to give me some kind of, uh, to honor me in some kind of way. And they say, thank you for all you have done for our people. And I would say, this just shows how much you're missing the point. Uh, Because if India's Muslims are only your people and not mine, then you miss the point of all my life. And if India's Muslims are my people as much as they are yours, then I was only working for my people. (laughs)
0: <laughs> Mr. Pandit, it's also a time when uh, there is that uh, very important uh, uh, differentiation between information and knowledge. I, I truly believe that information mm-hmm. is passive, which is why when we are bombarded with it, we don't know what to do with it. But knowledge has to be an active pursuit and wisdom, actually, and wisdom is so so well. the third stage. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, mm-hmm. on that journey, mm-hmm. uh, it seems that uh, there's far too much information, far too little knowledge, and, and maybe the. the the laziness is became, becoming a little intrinsic uh, and one wants to cling desperately with the fingernails to hope. Mm. But, um, but that seems to be becoming a bit of a norm. Would you agree or have you seen them? I
1: See, a lot of people say that this current sort of peaking of hate is the outcome of social media. I think it's, we're you, misreading. I mean, it is an instrument. It's a very effective instrument. But long before social media I, I worked in districts, I've handled riots. Uh, organizations, communal organizations, the RSS, uh Bajangdar kind of organizations here and, and just to be just to underline the Jamaat Islam in Bangladesh and Pakistan and so on. They specialize in the spreading of rumors and the creation of hatred. Now it's, it's just extraordinary. You don't, just don't understand. I mean, just to give you, one of the worst massacres we had was in 1989 in Bhagalpur when the Datyatra was uh, proceeding. And uh, I've studied it carefully. I've gone several times in Bhagalpur. Everybody says that a rumor somehow, came, somehow spread like wildfire that Hindu students have been slaughtered en masse uh, in hostels in Bhagalpur town. As it happened, not one student was even touched, but that rumor spread like wildfire with no social media, and around two thousand uh, Muslims were slaughtered uh, and, and so I think that I, 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 you know and it's very similar i've been in, in my districts I, I saw there's, there's this is language also ki Guardian. No <laughs> so, one has seen them, yeah. but it all creates a kind of frenzy. And I
0: also think that there's also this uh, thing, Mr. Mandar, where, you know, everyone followed the due process of biology, was born and uh, had an education. This isn't a, this isn't a phenomenon that's six or nine years old. Yes. This is just legitimization of, of a thought process that was probably bubbling under, but had to be covered with the facade of what was that current thought process and and now that there is a little bit of validation suddenly you see a lot more of
1: it, no? No, Not much more than a little validation. I mean, (laughs) see as I was saying that I'm a partition family, we've suffered a great deal in the hands of Muslim mobs. My parents were displaced, my extended family was displaced. Uh, But I never, never heard words of bigotry and hatred. Uh, I didn't hear it in my school I studied in an elite school called Mayo College I, did, I studied in St. Stephen's uh, it was furthest from my imagination our cinema always had the Muslim as this kind Rahim Chacha and, <laughs> and so on and so forth so so, so there was there, it was a different moment and we began to lose it and during the uh, you know I think historically uh, India began to slip when Jay Prakash Narayan brought the RSS out of the shadows, which where they had had to withdraw after Gandhiji's assassination uh, in the battle against corruption uh, of the Congress regime. It's very interesting that there have been three major national battles against corruption. All of them have pushed us further and further right. So the first was the Jayaprakash movement, which brought the RSS into mainstream, had them in. Then we had uh, V.P. Singh's movement against before, and uh, for the first time BJP as BJP uh, became part of a coalition government. In fact it's sad to remember that the CPM and the BJP were both part of that government yes. at, at that time. Yes. So that was the second movement and the third was the Anna Hazare movement, which shifted the the uh, the uh, centre of gravity of civil society to the right. And up to now, the assumption was that whatever happens in civil society, it'll be somewhat left of centre. That has got abandoned, and uh, I uh, I keep trying to say that corruption is 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 a problem, but corruption is only a small part of uh, an you know an unjust, uncaring. Uh, Society, uh, country, society, government. There were things that were written into the constitution, justice, liberty, equality, fraternity. And deviations from that should cause us pain and outrage. And we we compromise with that. The 80s was the worst period when Mrs. Gandhi herself began to compromise and she got killed. Um, and Rahul Gandhi, uh, Rajiv Gandhi, did a series of very spectacular mistakes. He opened the uh, the gates of the Ayodhya um, temple. He laid the foundation stone. Uh, there was a massive movement to deny Muslim women the right of uh, uh, maintenance mm-hmm. in the Shah Bano case, and he overruled uh, the decision of the Supreme Court with the majority that he had in Parliament, and. All of them, all of this, lead the ground for the total erosion and uh, Bhagalpur, uh, the, the slaughter in Hashimpura of by uh, of uh, Muslim men, you know, just an open slaughter and throwing them into the canal. All of this happened of course. under the watch. The de- Babri Masi demolition happened under the watch of a, a Congress Prime Minister. Uh, Narasimha Rao who allowed who allowed nothing to happen for 36 hours till a makeshift temple was built at that site. Now once that temple was built uh, there's no way it could have been demolished. So so there's a long history of compromises. Uh, what we have to I don't I don't agree at all with the idea of an equivalence between uh, Congress, BSP etc. and BJP. For, for, for one set of people it is the it is opportunism and weak moral convictions. For the other, it is the, the reason for their existence, of course. and they fought for for one thousand, one hundred years at least. So we are at, at this moment in our history, and I, you know, it, it sometimes might sound a hy- hyperbole to describe it as such, but it is really picking up where our freedom struggle left, because uh, the freedom struggle was never a battle only against the British it was a battle also about who this country would belong to and who it would not on what terms. And it is that question that has got completely reopened. And uh, and it is, as I said, for young people to decide, do you want this to be a country that belongs to caste Hindus with unequal citizenship, with people living in fear or a country where I, I like to think of you know, what we call secularism in, in, in a different kind of way. It's it's the idea of belonging and belonging equally without conditions. Wow. So, uh, so in France, I want to be French, so I have to learn the French language, I have to dress in a certain kind of way, I have to eat in a certain kind of way, etc. Our idea, at its best, is that I can worship anyone, I can love anyone, I can dress anyway, I can eat anything, uh, and be no less than anyone else. So, you know, I, I spent... A lot of my childhood in Arunachal Pradesh, uh, my father was posted there in NIFA, it was called NIFA, Nifa yeah. and uh, actually Nehru had picked up, hand picked a set of officers he had faith in, and Barry Elvin used to train them, and my dad was one of them, and uh, and it's such a beautiful part of the country, and there are tribes there, were just 200 people who speak a particular language yes. in the whole world. And it gives me goosebumps to think that those 200 people are in every way, every way equal citizens in this country. Yes. Uh, but there's another idea that the majority uh, uh, has to prevail. Of course, it's 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 also interesting as an aside that that who is a I mean, caste Hindus are actually a small minority in this country. They're just about as much as the Muslim population. They're about 15 percent uh, because you have uh, Mm-hmm. Religious minorities are about 20%, uh, Dalits are 14%, Adivasis is about 8% and uh, OBCs are estimated to be about 35-40%. So, so they are not a minority, they are not a majority.
0: And numbers are, uh, are such a double-edged sword. Yeah, right yeah. I mean, yeah. everyone sort of uses them for how they want how they'd like to. But uh, what we would, of course also like to do is cling on to hope, yeah. uh, desperately cling on to hope some of us. And we have,
1: you form, we have to form. Sorry, we have to formulate this a little carefully, I'm just saying, yes, I often when I talk to Muslim, Muslim people, young people, older people, really look to me, people like me with a lot of hope, show us the way, yes. etc. I sometimes tell them, you believe you're the minority community, I'm the majority community. Is that right? And they'll say yes. I say, if you say that, then it means that you believe that the real conflict in India is between Hindus and Muslims. I say, you and I both belong to the majority community in this country. How does that work? I said, the true conflict is not between Hindus and Muslims. The true conflict is between people who misuse religion for for hate and and power and those who follow their own faith or maybe atheist agnostics but respect your choice and and so on. And I I still am very convinced that we belong to the majority community if this is the conflict. So both of us are part of the majority community. And it it really heartens. I mean, I I remember where I've done those videos, they just keep circulating because it, it gives them a sense of belonging, but the moment we articulate it as a Muslim problem to the exclusion of others. Uh, during the anti ca protests, I, I was very very heartened when I saw in universities, etc, so many non-Muslims coming out. Uh, but I, I would address also rallies where I was travelling almost every day, where it was substantially a Muslim audience. And I would talk to them about what the constitution stands for, what fraternity means about equal citizenship means, etc. And then I would end by asking them one question and maybe that's where you might want to end this discussion. I would tell them that, in the end, I have one question for you and I want you to put your hand on your heart. Don't give me an answer. Give yourself an answer. And what was that question? I was saying, suppose the uh, the anti-CA law had not said, except Muslim. It had said, except Dalit. Would you have been here? Would you have felt this anguish? Would you have fought on the streets? And the truth is, most of you would not have.
0: And I think that's the important part, asking the questions. Yeah. Because I think what we're being told and what we're being uh, increasingly um, uh, saddled with is is uh, the importance of not asking questions. Yeah. And I think it's only asking the questions that because there's no wrong question. Hmm. There are only wrong answers. Yeah. And uh, I think for asking the right questions and consistently doing that in the face of vilification, uh, exploitation, uh, tarnishing of the image, mm-hmm. physical violence uh, 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 to an extent as well. Uh, uh, we would uh, uh, we would like to thank you from the bottom of our heart for doing what you do and uh, for giving us the courage actually, uh, basking in the reflected glory of the of the quiet courage that you shows Thank you very much for that.
1: Thank you, it was a pleasure, really a pleasure to talk to you. Uh,
0: that's Mr. Harsh uh, whatever he said, if we, can, uh, if we can listen, because listening is just so critical in this day and age, if only we can listen a little more, I think that would be great. And maybe, just maybe, listening to what uh, Mr. Mandar has said and uh, articulated would be a good start. Uh, that's all we need to say. This, ladies and gentlemen, is uh, the Teamwork Arts Podcast.